So, I made this episode while I was feeling manic. I wanted to give you guys a glimpse into the abnormality of my mind. And this was also at a time in my life when I was smoking copious amounts of marijuana. So please, please be careful. Cannabis is not a joke, especially if you have a predisposition for mental illness. And if you don't already know, an endogenous chemical is a substance produced from within the brain. Endo means inside or within. Warning. This podcast episode contains information that might be alarming, confusing, or triggering for some people. Please reach out to me if, uh, if there's something that I need to change or delete. Um... I'm trying something called exposure therapy, and I hope this helps. Goodbye. So I want to try a little experiment, because my theory is that with the correct form of exposure therapy, we can recreate our newer pathways for the world. You're special. You're special. You're special. You are special. Yes, I'm talking to you. (laughs) Don't tap into this one, said the devil. Okay, said the little girl. And she obeyed. You see, I never really had a tight grasp on my identity, so I form new identities. <laughs> Aww, motherfuckers don't realize I'd be sorting through their demons. Yeah, I'm connected to source, yeah, I use the force. These haters be snitching, these motherfuckers be glitching. Yeah, I'm mad at you. Yeah, you mad at me. Motherfucker, I hear you. Motherfucker, I see. Bitch, I know how to rap. Bitch, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, you listening now? Oh, I'll hit you with a fucking truck. Take that as a warning, brother. Yeah, I'm listening to you. I hear you every motherfucking night. Every motherfucking night. Okay, so that was just me channeling a lot of anger. A lot, bro. Like, there's a lot of fucking anger in this world, motherfuckers. Stop being so fucking angry all the fucking time. I'm just fighting my demons, and they fighting back, but it's okay, cause I know how to hack. Just a completely random thought, but 
Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are all so heavily interconnected, bro. Like, why is there so much disorder and so much disagreement and so much dis-ease? Like, bro, wake the fuck up! Itchy, scratchy, 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 itchy, So here's my problem, guys. I sometimes do things that could potentially harm myself or my career. Um, I deviate from the norm. So how exactly would you solve that? I feel as though I need a priest. But uh, you might think that's crazy. Sometimes I like my voice better when I'm hungry, so. The ideas, they flowed. The memories, they glowed. My creativity was soaring. Nothing was ever boring. The highs will make you fly. The highs will make you fly. Their reactions, they showed. Their brains would overload. My creativity was boring. Nothing was ever soaring. The highs will make you cry. The highs will make you cry. The past, it would explode. My actions, they forebode. My inner self was roaring. He thought I was whoring. The lows will make you fall. The lows will make you fall. My mind, it would implode. Consciousness of a toad. The rain, it just kept pouring. Thoughts of drinking chlorine. Meow. Meow, meow. Meow. That's how I talk to my cats. It actually works. Alright, this episode's dedicated to my kitties. My children. My beloved children. Guys, you don't understand how much I love my cats. They are literally my emotional support animals. I'm going to tell y'all a little secret, okay? The more you personify your animals, the more human they actually become. It's insane. Staring out the window. Like Vincent Van Gogh. Ran out of energy. Ain't got no flow. We ain't even in synergy. It's time to go. I learned from my mistakes. That's why I made this tape. I learned from my mistakes. That's why I made this tape.
I'm talking to you and you and you and me. All thoughts are interconnected. All perceptions are interconnected. It's creepy. It's very creepy, but it's cool. It's cool. It's pretty fucking cool. It's pretty fucking cool. If you really fucking think about it, really fucking think about it. Think. Think. Just just fucking think, bro. Just just fucking think. 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 The world is not a perfect place, but it can be. The world is not a perfect place. The world is not a perfect place, but it can be. It can. The world can be a perfect place. The world can be a perfect place. The world. The world. The world. The world. The world. The world. Sometimes I refuse to think because I know it will send me into a depressive state. So instead of thinking, I decide to escape into a fantasy reality that does not exist, but it exists in the mind. Therefore, it does exist. Whoa. No way. I'm transmuting energies 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 i'm transmuting transmuting transmute i'm transmuting i'm transmuting your energy and your energy and yours, and yours, and yours, 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 yours too. Yeah, yeah, you. I hear you too. I hear all of you. I hear all of you. All of you. You are all so beautiful. Such kind souls keep on that path of kindness and purity and happiness and well-being and kindness and purity and happiness and well-being. Enigma resilience. Enigma resilience. Enigma resilience. Don't let the enigma contain you. <laughs> enigma resilience. Enigma, enigma resilience. resilience. Enigma resilience. Enigma, enigma resilience. Resilience.
Enigma. Share your wisdom with Echo. I was a young child doing what I could to save the world. But it always seems like the world just doesn't want to be saved. Need food. I need food. Need food. So I'm recording this now so I don't forget later because I know it's going to sound really stupid. But not having food and basic necessities literally makes you dumber. Psychologically, emotionally, physically, just in every possible way. It's just absolutely detrimental to society. But anyways, hello. Y'all listen up, I pick up on things way too fast, so sometimes I just gotta slow down. Sensations and perceptions, they influence everything. Just kidding, I'm just fucking with your mind. Just fucking with your mind. We We welcome welcome love love and light. We call upon fallen angel MJ. Bring the weed. We call upon Archangel Michael. Thank you for being there for us. We call upon Christ himself. Let his light shine through us. I'm smoking on mango, but I'm not down to tango. That takes two. And I don't like you. Yeah, John just wrote a poem, but I don't think it was Fohem. I think you might have to show him. Oh, wait, you already know him. But then I'll have to control him. And probably have to console him. It looks like you have to let go then. Get a hot water bowl and stick your toes in. It sounds like you want more than, like you're not really sure then. But I just really adore him. This life, it really ain't for him.
I was one of the Lord's kin, born in Jesus' den. I fought bears with my fingers, ten. I'm like Michael Jordan. I'm on the rim. And I'm really soaring. Like a bird. Pelican. <laughs> You're wasting up on my storage. I'm at a really weird stage in my life where I am becoming an adult, but I still feel like a child sometimes. So, um, I'm kind of just exploring my inner child, you know? So, I just wanted to give you guys a glimpse into the weird and abnormal parts of my brain. Um, that's pretty much what this episode is dedicated to. Just random chaos and a glimpse into my endogenous chemicals. I hope you enjoy it. Education is so important, guys. Please, please do not miss class. Please do not miss your assignments. Please just put full effort into learning and understanding the information because knowledge is so, so valuable. According to the, um, the sense data, Harris. Okay. Uh, so we have the subject, and the subject has direct awareness of the sensible properties of sense data. And those are uh, contingent on sense datum existing. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the sensible properties of sense datum uh, are like a necessary factor for experience. They help to explain the phenomenal character or what it's like. Yeah, I okay. think that's probably right. But, and then the, you know, uh, an issue if, you think this is is um, that there's nothing saying that the actual like physical object or or the material world exists outside of that's a worry. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's right. Because the idea is that you're supposed to be directly aware of sense data, mm. depending on which way you go. Uh, you know, most folks will, uh, are going to say, you know, if you're aware of a sensible property, uh, f in an experience, then there is something with that property, right? Mm -hmm. And what's the name of that principle? Anybody remember? Phenomenal. Exactly, the phenomenal principle. And then some folks, are, and I think they all agree with that, right? But some folks go further, right, and say you can't be mistaken about what's presented, mm -hmm. right? Whereas others, so we saw this, you know, in, in the problem spectral pen, right? Uh, so, you know, error is going to say, no, you can't be mistaken at all. If you're presented with a sense datum with certain properties, then you're necessarily aware of the properties you're presented with. Um, but somebody like Broad might say, no, you, can, you can't be mistaken if it seems to you as though it has such and such properties. But... It might be the case that you can't tell, right? So, Maya. Um, okay. 
my question okay so in the argument from hallucination and illusion mm-hmm. um is it only part of the phenomenal principle or can it is it also applied to the common factor principle well it uses both right so let's see so i think in the fish reading i think it yeah, it, it was kind of like Okay. So So we can talk about both. Yeah. It? Okay. Yeah. So the first premise is the phenomenal principle. Premise six is the common fine assumption. Okay, cool. But and then can you explain why it rejects the representational principle? It just doesn't think that's what's going on. Because it thinks that what you're, I mean, in some, some sense datum theorists, and Fish talks about this later in the chapter, we're not talking about it, but they will grant that it has representational properties. But for the most part, the idea is supposed to be, at least if you go back to, you know, most of the 20th century guys, early 20th century guys, is you're presented with an object, right? A sense datum, and you're directly aware of it and its properties. And where, you know, you're sp- it's supposed to help mediate your awareness of other things, but that's typically going to be because of some kind of causal story, right? So the sense datum is not a representation of the real world. It basically they're saying that it is the real world, kind of. Well, it's saying I mean it's it's a mind dependent internal private object, but yeah, it's not supposed to be a representation of it all the of the external world, although. Whatever it is that you're seeing is often thought to share the same kind of properties as stuff in the real world. You know, so I think it, if I'm remembering, it's error if I'm remembering correctly. You know, he's going to say something like, you know, maybe you've got a red square out in the world, and so what you would have would be something like red prime, right? So it, it's going to be similar, but a slightly different kind of property. For our purposes, we're just saying, properties are the same. We don't need to overly complicate it. But now, generally speaking, the, the traditional guys didn't really think of it as being representational. It's not as though you had this direct awareness of something that represented something in the world. It was you had this direct awareness of this mind-dependent entity, and then you would tell some kind of causal story, typically, right? Or, or you would, about, you know, how, you know, well, you know, when you're in sensory contact with an object, then there, that object is going to cause an experience and you're aware of this, you know, kind of thing. But because this thing caused it, that's why you can get to know the stuff about the world, right? That makes sense, yeah. Thank you for describing that. Sure, yeah. Um, oh, sorry. I just have one more thing to say from that. Yeah. So there are some versions that do accept the representational principle, correct? Yeah, but you gotta be careful. So if you're interested in going that r- route, read to the rest, read the rest of the sense datum chapter with Fish, because right. he talks about it. Okay. And he also talks about problems that arise. Okay, so we could kind of go either way with that one. I think so, yeah, but... More commonly, they reject the representation. Yeah, so certainly, like I said, the, the early 20th century guys, um, so air and more, and I think Pritchard did too. 
broad. You know, they, they, I mean, they just thought of these as objects that you were directly aware of, but they're objects. And because they're objects, they're not the sort of thing that represent other things, right? So Bryce, this was, in your email, you were kind of asking about some of this. So there are, yeah, so there are some views that treat it as representational, but that's not the standard. Yeah, go ahead, Karen. Uh, so, uh, with, with sense data, because we can only have direct awareness of the sensible properties of sense data, uh, is it that we can't fully know what, uh, like, we can't know all the properties of sense data? Well, I mean, people are going to say different things there, right? And so I think it depends on how one sets up one theory, one's theory, right? And they disagree. So we see error saying, no, you know, in the problem of speckled hen, it's like, no, look, if it's, if it's part of the experience, you know, if you're presented with something, then you can know everything it is about what you're presented with. Broad says otherwise. And one of the things that's worth keeping in mind here is that one of Barnes's main criticisms is, right, you can say anything here, right? And it just has to be consistent with your overall theory, which kind of suggests that there's not enough sufficient data to ground any of the claims that we're making. It's like, you've got this story, you've got this story. How do I choose between them? I don't know, right? And that's, that's one of his main problems with theory. I, I think that I'm gonna try to do like a, an epistemological like route with a, because I, I think that's the biggest problem. Yeah, given that, at least for purposes here, right, we think that it's going to give us knowledge. I mean, the problem even with, um, I mean, skepticism easily threatens. Yeah, and I mean, that's the worry, right, that it leads to skepticism. Uh, do you mind explaining again the two hats, like the epistemological hat and the... So, and this is more kind of the overall for the for our course, the way we're thinking about it, is visual experiences have a certain phenomenology. There's something it's like to have an experience, whether it be visual or whatever. And so the idea is that any proper philosophical theory of perception must be able to explain that phenomenology, right? Maybe explain it away, but you gotta account for it. If you don't have a, if your theory doesn't fit with the phenomenology, that's a problem. Similarly for the epistemological side is that we think that perception is a key uh, source of knowledge of the external world, right? Um, and if not, you know, the main one. And so any theory is going to have to be able to be compatible and be able to, with how we can have such knowledge. And so you have to be careful here because, you know, I mean, 
you know, intentionalism is going to run afoul of skepticism. Disjunctivism runs afoul of skepticism. Skepticism threatens all of them, right? So it's not as though it's like you have to have a proper theory knowledge that can answer the skeptical question in order to be a successful philosophical theory of perception. But at least has to be such that we can at least see how maybe absent those kind of things, it could work. So one of the, you know, one of the virtues of intentionalism is that it's actually, they can give a really nice story about how perceptual experiences justify beliefs. Nice thing about disjunctivism is something similar, right? They can give, depending on the type, can give a pretty nice story about how that works. The skeptic is gonna complain, but it's not as big of a problem as it is with the sense data, where it's kind of like, really? You know, so these are mind-dependent entities that are supposed to somehow mediate our awareness, and that it becomes harder to see. So you've got to, at that point, you've got to go to inference to the best explanation, or you've got to start talking about sense data as reliable indicators, but you, it's hard to be able to say that those kinds of methods work if you can't get beyond the sense data to test whether or not those things are actually are reliable indicators of the world, because all you're aware of are the sense data. Or if you're talking about inference to the best explanation, it's like, well, why should we think that that's a good strategy, right? You know, you kind of have to look at the world to see that, well, these explanations that satisfy these cr criteria were more likely to be true. But if you can't get past the sense data, you can't get to the world, right? It's kind of the worry. Yeah. I, in, I think it, at one point in this argument, there's a talk of like veridical uh, experience, like uh, obviously like illusion, hallucination. It, it's hard for me to set up um, an argument by saying these things, because for, it seems like for the sensitive theorists, uh, they would automatically say like, no, these are all the same things. Or even if you're taking someone like Ayer's route, you know, what, why distinguish at all between a veridical experience and a hallucinatory experience? Because if you're, if this is all you're aware of and you, you know this thing directly, uh, well, keep in mind they don't say it's all you're aware of. They say it's all you're directly aware of. But they're going to grant that you're indirectly aware of the world through the sense data. Oh, okay. So the idea is that the sense data, you're directly aware of the sense data, and then the sense data mediates your awareness of the external world. And what they want to say is, look, and you know, the intentionalist wants to say this too, is when we're just talking about the experience, yeah, you can have the same experience if it's an illusion or a hallucination or a vertical experience, right? You know, this is the common kind assumption. But they're all gonna grant that in addition to that, so maybe you've got an experience of a black cat, so this is fundamentally what the experience is. But we're going to categorize it differently if there's indeed a black cat, right? So in that case, it would be vertical. I mean, this is 
fundamentally what the experience is. However, it is we cash out what's going on in the bubble, right? So for the intentionalist, it's going to be something like there is a cat where this is content, right? For the sense datum, there is it's going to be a sense datum, right? That you're directly aware of. But they're going to still say, so fundamentally, these are the same type, but of course, experiences can, in fact, I don't want to say, you know, not be hallucinatory loser or illusory, or they can be. It can be an actual perception, in which case you have to be seeing the object, even if it's mediated through your sense data, if you're a sense data theorist. But it, it can't be that I'm having a veridical experience of sense datum. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It has to be that there's something, you know, behind it. Yeah. By, like of the external world. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. Yep. And that's because it's mind dependent. That's why there has to be like something behind it, kind of, as you mentioned. Well, I think that, you know, everybody's going to grant that when we have an experience that seems to be of the world, right? You know, that's just a phenomenology. Mm -hmm. um, so what they're going to say is, right, given that that's a phenomenology, you know, this is going to be a vertical experience if indeed there is a physical object out there, right? even if what you're directly aware of is this mind-dependent thing. So it's not because it's mind-dependent that you have to have a physical object out there to be uh, yeah, that you need to have a physical object out there. It's just, it has more to do, I think, with the phenomenology of experience and kind of what we mean when we're talking about vertical, hallucinatory, and illusory experiences, right? Because, you know, I mean, those kinds of uh, distinctions have been around forever, you know? It's like, you know, you think about, you know, the ancient skeptics and, you know, the 10 modes of Benicidemus. And, you know, one of them is talking about a square tower looking round from a distance. You know, we all know about Macbeth and the dagger, right? So, you know, we're familiar with these phenomena of illusions, hallucinations, and, vertical experiences. And so the idea is we gotta explain kind of what's going on, right? And the argument for sense datum kind of starts with, well, you know, phenomenal principle, and then there are these different kinds of states, but everything is the same for, as far as the subject is concerned, which is common kind assumption, blah, blah, blah. So here we go. Because in light of the fact that hallucinations and illusions exist, if someone claimed that we were directly aware of our environment, then wouldn't that be saying that like hallucinations and illusions, like those are explained by the actual environment object changing, kind of? Well, I don't think anybody wants to, say, I, I think what we want to say is, and intentionalists certainly want to say this, disjunctivists want to say this, uh, and, and Maya, I might be missing your point, so if I am, let me know. I mean, what they want to say is, look, when we're directly aware of stuff in a vertical experience, 
you know, we are sometimes directly aware of stuff in a vertical experience. Uh, you know, I mean, the sense datum theorist is going to say we're directly aware of stuff regardless of the type of experience. But certainly the intentionalists and disjunctivists want to say we're directly aware of the world. Now, in cases of illusion or hallucination, what do you say? At that point, you're not going to be directly aware of the world. Those theories are going to agree on that. Now, what they say, what, how they account for what's going on is going to differ, right? The sense datum theorist is going to say, look, in all these cases, you're directly aware of the sense datum. Um, yeah, if that helps. Now, if, if you're talking, I, I take it that they would all accept that, you know, perception is generally, at least vertical perception, is direct awareness of the world, and if you're having a hallucination or an illusion, then yes, something is going on in the environment. But where the environment could presumably include, you know, brain function, you know, something's going on in the world because of there's some physical cause of it. So I don't know if you were going for the second part. Yeah, I guess I was curious to hear what some other viewpoints would be like that. So. Well, yeah. And actually, you know, it's funny because one that causes Martin, who's a naive realist, causes him the most problems is causal argument, right? Is that you could, you know, you can think about this from going back to Valberg's argument where, you know, look, if you, you know, just cause the right kind of brain activity, then things could seem exactly to the subject as they would if there were a physical object causing the experience, right? Like in the normal case. And so how does the disjunctivist deal with that? Any, question, any more questions on sense data before we move on to Siegel? Madigan and Dominique, are you guys both writing on Siegel? No, I'm writing on sense data. Any questions before we move on? No, I'm okay. Meyer, Karen? Um, I think that's it for now. And I have office hours after. Oh, is anybody planning to come after noon? Because if not, I'm going to go home. But if you are, I will stay. There are various people, love one of them, so. Right, you said to just be careful about the stories that we're reading. Oh, that was more what I'm saying when you're reading Martin. Okay. So, because uh, there was a there was part that, you know, like about 10 pages, and I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And I'm like, I know you don't want to be an Intentionalist. He's talking about intentionalism and he's kind of giving the motivation. 
and he's not, you know, he's not really, he's not arguing against it really, he's just trying to map out the different views, right? But if you use that, do not attribute, do not call him an intentionalist, he is not. Siegel's response. Okay. And then say why it goes wrong. Okay. Now here's the thing though. Is again, when when you're giving an objection, and I just really want to emphasize this because I see students softball this sometimes, give as strong as an argument against your own view as you possibly can. Try to, you know, I mean you want to make it convincing. And there are going to be good reasons, I can guarantee you. There are going to be good reasons to be well, there are usually good reasons to be concerned about what we're inclined to say, right? And so what you want to do is you want to try to explain those and really make the case against yourself. And then say why that case fails, right? But if you, if you lob yourself a softball or don't properly develop the objection against your own view, then I'm reading and I'm like, oh yeah, but I know there's all this stuff. And I know you guys know all this stuff. So, come on, right? It weakens your overall argument, right? And it just as a word of warning, this has happened to me on numerous occasions, including my dissertation. This happened in my proposal. I know Karen, you've heard this story because I will never, ever forget this. So I went in arguing during my dissertation proposal for one, for you, right? That I was, actually it wasn't even, it wasn't part of my, it wasn't my main thesis of the dissertation, but it was something crucial to, the, to my argument. And one of my committee members kept pushing me, kept pushing me, kept pushing me. Damn, yeah, like, why do you think that? Why do you think that? Why do you think that? And I'm just like, because, blah, 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 blah. He's like, yeah, but what about Austin's bulgy buildings? I remember the bulgy buildings. So J.L. Austin is a lovely writer. Um, and you know, I did my best to uh, defend my view. And then, you know, the defense ends, or the proposal defense ends, and I pass, and I go off to write the dissertation. And I keep thinking about those damn bulgy buildings and what my committee member kept pushing. And I kept thinking about it, and I kept thinking about it, and I kept thinking about it, and I'm like, oh, he's right. <laughs> so I completely changed my, well, I mean, I, the dissertation ended up being very different than what I thought it was gonna be. Where I was defending this, view that I thought was fundamentally mistaken and problematic, and now I think it's right. And the really beautiful thing is because I was so convinced and I had all these arguments on my side about why I was right you know, during my proposal defense, I knew the terrain and I knew the enemy. And so I was able to pick it apart and come up with really pretty good case, right? 
So if this happens to you when you're coming up with your objections, if you're like, okay, wow, I came up with a really strong objection. I don't think I can answer this. I think I'm wrong. That's okay. Change your thesis. Change the structure of your paper. Not a problem. Happened to me as an undergrad. Happened to me in I feel like I'm so stubborn that I would so be, be so stuck in the viewpoint that I already had that it would be hard to change it. Well, you know, we're all, I mean, there's a couple things here. Is we don't want to be dogmatic, right? And we're after the truth. And this stuff is hard. And there's a lot to consider. So it's okay to change your mind. Um, and it's to be expected, right? We want people to change their mind in light of further evidence, in light of further thought. That's a good thing. Um, so it's all right. And the other stuff too is, if, you know, this stuff we don't have a whole lot invested in. You know, it's not like we're talking about free will or something here, right? Uh, where it might really be a problem if we come to believe that free will is impossible. Let me tell you that really. So you could do something like that. But I, I, I would suggest that if you go that route, keep it, you know, you, you don't need to get into 